Hello and welcome to the Achieve Your Goals podcast, the show that empowers you to wake up to your full potential and achieve your biggest goals and dreams. I am your host, Hal Elrod, and I invite you to join us each week as we share actionable strategies to take your life to the next level, as well as interview world-class experts and entrepreneurs who have achieved extraordinary goals themselves, and we ask them to give you a peek behind the curtain and teach you exactly what you need to do to do the same. Ready? Here we go. Welcome to the Achieve Your Goals podcast. And uh, this is the first episode that is not a Miracle Equation series episode in like seven or eight weeks. So I'm both a little sad about that, right? Like that came to a conclusion last week, but I'm also really excited because yeah, it's just fun to switch gears. Uh, and I, it was neat, the feedback from all the Miracle Equation episodes, I think we did six or seven of them over the last six or seven weeks. And if you haven't listened to those, go back and listen. I mean, I got feedback from a lot of long-term, loyal, Achieve Your Goals podcast listeners and just saying, Hal, this is like this series has been the most valuable content that you've ever put out. So yes, we're going to try to top that today with Ryan Levesque, my guest. But uh, if you haven't listened to those episodes, go ahead and uh, head back and uh, listen to the Miracle Equation series, which starts at episode, ah, gosh, I don't know, 263-ish, something like that. So if you are an entrepreneur or a wantrepreneur, or if you have no interest in being an entrepreneur or wantrepreneur, I still think you should consider it. Like after today's episode, you may have a change of heart. And I know for me, I didn't ever even consider being an entrepreneur when I was young. And then it's the greatest decision I ever made because now I have freedom to live life on my terms and there's no ceiling on my income. And I'm able to do work that really makes a difference and impacts people. And our guest today is on the forefront of leading it really a revolution, a movement in helping people to identify which business they should choose. In fact, that's the name of his new book, choose, which business to choose, how to choose it, how to choose your niche, how to choose your target market, on and on and on. Uh, he's an expert and he uh, personally runs a $10 million a year business. And I shouldn't say business, it's an entire orchestra of various businesses that all kind of complement and support each other. So for the past 10 years, Inc. 500 CEO and number one national bestselling author, Ryan Levesque, spelled L-E-V-E-S-Q-U-E. I thought it was Ryan Levesque for a long time. I'm sure he gets that a lot. But uh, been featured, his work's featured in the Wall Street Journal, USA Today, Forbes, and Entrepreneur. And Ryan has guided thousands of entrepreneurs through the journey of answering the question, what type of business should you start? And one of the biggest reasons why so many new businesses fail is because in the quest to decide what business to start, most of the conventional wisdom is wrong. And I can attest to that. Instead of obsessing over what, as in what should you sell or what should you build, you should first be asking who, as in who should you serve? The what is a logical question that will come soon enough, but choosing your who is the foundation from which all other things are built. And that's what Ryan's expertise is, one of his expertises. And it's what this book, his new book, Choose, is all about. And if you've ever had the dream to start your own business, become your own boss, or do your own thing, but you've been afraid to take the leap and screw up your already good life, 
this is the book and Ryan is the man that you want to listen to. And again, it's choose the single most important decision before starting your business with my new friend. We've been hanging out. Uh, we'll talk about that. We got to go back from a dad's retreat, working on being better dads for our kids and better husbands for our family. And that's where we got to connect deeper. And that's where I said, buddy, I am such a fan of your first book, Ask. And uh, I'd, I'd love to have you on the podcast. And um, yeah, so uh, Ryan, welcome, my friend. Hal, it's uh, it's an honor to be here. And I really appreciate that. Very generous and incredibly accurate <laughs> introduction. <laughs> <laughs> you got it, man. I'm not known for my accuracy. So maybe you're bringing out the best in me, brother. <laughs> appreciate you, man. No, uh, Hal yeah. and I, for all you all listening right now, Hal was going to pull a 180 on me and do a fake intro. And he decided to do it the real thing. So I appreciate you, man. And it's it's an honor to be here. Absolutely. Well, let, let's just start at the beginning. For those of you that don't know you, and, and actually, before I ask you the question, I do want to pause because I read your first book, Ask. And what, what was the subtitle of that one? I'm not looking at it. It's a long one. It's uh, the counter. I love long subtitles. Method. You're the man of my own heart. Go ahead. <laughs> it's the, I got to make sure I get this right. Uh, it's the uh, counterintuitive online method to discover exactly what your customers want to buy, create a mass of raving fans, and take any business to the next level. Dude, you trumped me in long subtitles. I, I told you it was a long one. <laughs> that is, that's incredible, man. And I'm looking uh, 636 reviews on Amazon. I just, in case you didn't know it, I was going to Amazon real quick to uh, to be able to find it and uh, and give you the accurate answer. But you got it. You nailed it. So, uh, so yeah, I read that book. It was a game changer. In fact, my Chip Franks, my chief miracle worker, and I are going to head out and do some consulting with you here in the next probably few weeks and uh, actually have you run us through implementing the ask method for people. Uh, I know that's what we're going to talk, not we're going to talk about today, but if anybody hasn't checked in, you know, if you don't know that book and you are an entrepreneur with a business, go check out the ask method. It's really uh, how to ask your customers, your prospects, your community, what do they want? What do they need? So you can not just make a product or a service or a program that you think they might like, but you actually, you let them tell you and inform that process. So that's, that was your first genius. And if that's all you kind of like you with Miracle Morning, like if we just left it at that, right, it was a holistic solution for millions of people. And then now you've got this book, Choose. Before we get into the book, though, I, I just want to get let our listeners get to know you. Tell us how you got started. How'd you go from entrepreneur to running now a $10 million business? What, what's the beginning story, the origin story of this? You know, like you, I was listening to you tell a little bit about your story, and I didn't think I was going to become an entrepreneur. Like, it wasn't something that I set out to do uh, growing up. Uh, I grew up a very blue-collar background. Neither of my parents went to college. My dad worked nights my entire life. My mom cut hair in the basement of our house to earn extra money. And when I went to college, I was the first in my family to go to college. And I went to had the privilege and honor of uh, getting into an Ivy League school, Brown University, and I studied neuroscience and Chinese. That's what I studied in school. And so, wow, na- naturally, Quite the combo. I- <laughs> yeah, I, exactly. Naturally, when I got out of school, I decided to work on Wall Street. That's like the natural path one goes through. Yeah. And I went to school. I thought I was going to become a doctor. My parents were very disappointed to find out that I did not uh, decide not to pursue that. Worked on Wall Street and then eventually had a, a job after college that took me to China in finance. Hmm. My wife and I spent five years in Asia and I had a job where I was opening up sales offices for the insurance company AIG across China. So I was like traveling to all these countries, all these different, uh, excuse me, cities. I was on an airplane every week. I was living at a hotels and I kind of, in my mid twenties had this quarter life crisis where I said, I don't want to do this for the rest of my life. Like there's, there's gotta be more. And I wrote this big, long letter to my parents, to my mom, that my editor convinced me to reveal and publish in my first book, ask. It was very embarrassing. It was something I never expected Mm -hmm. to see the light of day. And years later, it was like, you know, millions of people seeing this letter. And basically I kind of chronicled that I felt really empty inside. I felt like 
I had much more to give. And I said, if I don't do this now, I don't know when I'm ever going to do it. So I wanted to assure my parents that I wasn't crazy, but I decided in 2008 to quit a very high paying job, quit my job and do it to, (laughs) you're going to laugh at this, teach people how to make jewelry using Scrabble tiles and origami paper. That was my first business. (laughs) literally went from my parents thinking I was going to become a neurosurgeon to working on Wall Street (laughs) to selling ebooks online. It was a very steep and precipitous fall uh, and it didn't get much better after that. So that was the first business that we started and um, I quit my job in 2008. When you say we, didn't you start that with your wife? I did start with my wife. So people always wonder, how did you arrive at that niche? Well, you can imagine and for any spouses um, listening to this right now, I'm sure you can appreciate this. If you've got a a spouse who dreams of, you know, becoming their own boss, starting their own thing, there were many, many, many a dinner conversation where I was telling my wife about some harebrained idea I had. And what about this? And how about we do this? And let's open up our franchise. And how about uh, teaching people Chinese? Like all the millions of ideas that I had. (laughs) And eventually I think she basically said, Brian, you just got to pick a damn idea and go with it. Right? So she brought this idea um, to me after right around the time when I quit my job where there was this new website that had just come out and the website was etsy.com. Now Etsy today is huge, right? It's a yeah, eBay yeah. for handmade goods. But at the time, this was like whatever, 2007, 2008, it had just come out, right? And, uh, and so she says, you know, there's this jewelry that's selling like crazy and it uses origami paper and Scrabble tiles and take a look. And uh, her argument was, listen, we're in China. We have access to all the origami paper we would ever want in Asia. We have access to inexpensive labor. We can set up a little mini factory in southern China, and we can manufacture the jewelry and import it into the United States. That was like the idea. And I said, honey, like the whole reason why we're starting this business is so we can travel the world and be location independent and have freedom and like all the things you talk about, right? So I didn't want to be chained to a factory in southern China. So I dismissed the idea. And then a few weeks later, she brings the idea back up. And I said, honey, I thought we closed the book on the Scrabble tiling. She said, no, no, time out, time out, time out. Take a look at this woman's shop. She took out her computer and she showed me Etsy, went to Etsy and she said, take a look at this woman's shop. Now, the thing about Etsy is you can see a person's sales history. So she said, look at this woman. She's not selling the jewelry. She's teaching people how to make the jewelry. So this woman was selling a tutorial on Etsy on how to make the Scrabble tile jewelry. And, And we looked at it and she said, take a look at how much she's making. And she was selling about 30 copies a day of this PDF tutorial that she was selling for like 3,000 bucks, or excuse me, 30 bucks. So 30 bucks at 30 sales a day. We did the math. We went back in her sales history. And this woman was making like $10,000 a month selling this tutorial. And my wife bought it. And she said, yeah, it's like not very good. It was like typos and like made with Microsoft Word. It was very homemade. And she said, I'm going to learn how to make this jewelry. Let's do a tutorial. Let's build a better mousetrap. So we did that. First month, we made like a few sales. Then eventually, we kind of get things going a few hundred dollars, thousand dollars, two thousand dollars. We did four thousand dollars. We eventually make eight thousand dollars a month. And I'm thinking to myself, I, I remember I had a day where I turned to my wife and said, "Honey, we're going to be rich. Like we're going to get rich on uh, this. Is crazy." Now, what, what were you earning in your in in the job that you were working? Oh gosh, I'd have to look back at what I was making. I was making about probably about two hundred thousand dollars a year in my okay, AIG job plus. As an expat, you have almost no living expenses because my apartment was paid for mm, and car nice. and driver. I had, I was traveling all the time, so I didn't have any meal expenses or anything like that. I had a, what they call an IE. So like a, a servant in our apartment that was cooking, you know, cooking for us and cleaning and doing, it was like, I mean, you were like whatever you're making. And then they give you cost of living adjustment when you're like living overseas. I was basically like 
it was a good life, man. <laughs> it was right I see good. why you took the job. It was pretty dang appealing, right? It was very appealing. Now, I don't want to, like, I had to work. I, my first job out of college, I made $42,000 a year. Like, I had to work yeah. my way up to it. So it wasn't like I was, you know, there was a lot of work to get there. But the point sure, is, sure, I was sure. making good money, gave it all up, and then we start this business. And so we start this business, and, like, it's just going up. And then literally the next month after, like, that peak month, sales dropped off a cliff. I remember we kind of looked at each other, had that moment where I looked at my wife and we said like, oh crap, now what? We had gone through like a pretty good chunk of our savings at this point. My wife was in grad school, so she wasn't making any money. I quit my job. I had no income coming in. And we had this moment where we said like, all right, what are we going to do? And it was at that moment that we, she decided she was going to finish her PhD program early. Uh, We moved back to the United States. We sold and donated everything that we owned except for one suitcase each. We moved to Brownsville, Texas, which is a border city right on the Mexico-Texas border. Uh, She got a job. So China to Texas? China to China to Texas. Of course, like (laughs) like like everyone does. Yeah. And uh, she got a job as a museum curator, which is what she went to school for, that paid $36,000 a year. And we started at ground zero. We got an apartment, 400 square foot apartment, bars on the windows. We got mm. two lawn chairs. Wow. That was our living room furniture. And you know how we got those lawn chairs? Hmm. You, know, when you, when you know when you open up a bank account and they give you like a free gift? The free <laughs> gift was like you, those like soccer chairs, like the chairs that you sit in when you're like on the side of a yeah, soccer field. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the gift. With like my little wife, cup holders in them and everything. Yeah, exactly. And my wife yeah. was a good negotiator and she asked, can we have a second one, please? And, uh, and they gave us a second one. So we got two of those, mattress on the floor and a $400 laptop that my- Your wife sounds pretty savvy, man. I have not, I have not met your wife. Yeah, but she she's incredible. She's incredible. Yeah. Um, well. And so that's how we started, you know, and we started back from ground zero. And then I learned- that first business, the importance. Uh, it was one of the first times I learned the lesson of the importance of choosing a good market, choosing the right market. And I learned in that Scrabble business that you can't go into a fad market. And so the next business that I started, I didn't want to go into another business that was going to fall off a cliff like that. So I started yeah. doing research on what the longest lasting hobbies, the oldest hobbies in America are. And any guesses on what the, the oldest hobby in America is? It's been uh, like number crochet. one or number two every year for like the last hundred years. <laughs> I don't know. I should know. Gardening. Oh, okay. I, I've heard that. Yes, I've heard that. So it makes sense, right? I mean, like we probably yeah. know, like, you know, it, even if you don't garden, you probably know someone in your life that they do some form of gardening, right? And so yeah. I started doing research for different niches within the gardening space. I wanted a market that wasn't going to disappear like the Scrabble tile market did where the fad just kind of, it wor- you know, it just ended, right? And we were left with, yeah. with nothing. So that's how we arrived at our next business, which was in the uh, orchid space. So teaching people how to care for their orchids. And so uh, we lived in Brownsville, uh, took that business from nothing to $25,000 a month in uh, about wow. 18 months. It gave my confidence. And selling the information, selling, teaching people, is that it? Teaching people. And that was like one of the key lessons I learned is that you've heard it before, right? Who made all the money in the gold rush to California? Yeah, people that sold the the, the Picks tools. and shovels. Yeah, the yeah. tools on how to find gold, right? Not necessarily the, those who sought after the gold themselves. And so, you know, there are lessons in history that we can learn. And what I've discovered now is that there's no better business to go into than selling what we describe as education and expertise. So mm. teaching people some form of knowledge. And it's really, I mean, your business is predicated on this model, right? And you've reached millions of people around the world selling ideas, right? Selling ideas and, and educating people and giving them knowledge in very important you know, areas of their life. And so I don't quote me the exact stat. I saw it recently. It's crazy how high it is. But do you, did you realize that there's something like $800 million a day, a day 
is spent on education online. Eight hundred million, million a day. dollars a day. I a never day. heard that. People always people well. always say, but wait, education isn't there like everything is free? Like you can just Google anything for free. Yeah, yeah. No, when I see when I went to college, I went to uh, an expensive school. When I went to college, tuition was like about forty thousand dollars a year, something like that. It's more than doubled in the last fifteen years. It's over eighty thousand dollars a year for the same wow. education in fifteen years. Think about things that you buy in your life. The price of those things have not doubled. Like the computer yeah, sure. you bought 15 years ago, right? It hasn't doubled in cost, right? Yeah. Like exactly. A lot of the things, the prices have come down. Exactly. But you think education is one that it would come down, right? But that's interesting. People are spending more. Now, information is everywhere, but wisdom is not. And that's what you give people, right? Like there's information everywhere, but you offer people sure. wisdom that is unique, specialized knowledge. So whether you well, have this knowledge yourself or... It's something you can learn. Like I knew nothing about Scrabble tile jewelry. I knew nothing about orchids when we went into that market. But there are literally millions of people around the world who would die for the opportunity to share their expertise. And you can hire people. You can partner with people. You can learn the topic or the skill yourself. And we've done a combination of all of these things in the 23 different niche markets that we've gone into in the last 10 years. Wow. So now the Orchid, how to care for orchids business. Yeah. Is that still running or is it still go to it today? Orchidsmadeeasy.com. It's not a plug for the business. I mean, you can buy our yeah. stuff if you want, but just to show you that it's still around. <laughs> that business, so it's See. crazy that we took that business to over half a million dollars a year. And uh, here we are over 10 years later, and that business still pays for most of our living expenses. Basically, really? pretty much pays wow. for our living expenses. A business that we built over a decade ago. And here's the kind of thing that I'm a little bit hesitant to admit this. But I spend less than 10 hours a year on that business. Yeah. Yeah, it I'm just, looking at the website, orchidsmadeeasy.com. And that yeah. the website's not very pretty, so I think this should give anybody confidence. <laughs> what do you mean, Hal? <laughs> Any, anyone that uh, thinks your website sucks, go to orchidsmadeeasy.com. <laughs> What's funny is, we you know, years ago, did a lot of testing in this business. What we found is that the more homemade um, kind of hobby look that we applied to the site, the better it actually performed. We did our site redesign. I've read that before. Slick and fancy and everything like that. And it just kind of everything stopped performing as well. So, yeah, it's interesting. I've read that before that, yeah, when certain in, in a lot of industries, when sites look basic and not flashy, they, they perform better, which is, yeah, it's kind of counterintuitive for sure. It's totally counterintuitive. But yeah, so that business still exists today. And so it was, I, I learned one of the things I talk about in the book, Choose, is the keys that you're looking for in every market. And so after Ask, you know, and you know this, right? Because you, you wrote you yeah. multiple books and you've gotten so much amazing feedback from people who have read your books. But one of the things that people don't talk about as much is when you write a book, you get all those great letters and emails and Facebook messages and everything like that. But uh, at least for me, I, I can't speak for you, but at least for me, I also got messages and emails and letters from people who wrote in and said, Ryan, I followed your exact process and it didn't work for me. Like I mm. followed everything you teach and ask and it didn't work. And it kind of led me down this path to figure out, well, what was I missing? Was I leading people in the wrong direction? What mistake was I making? And it kind of took me down this rabbit hole, which eventually became a three-year research project to identify what was it that separated the businesses that uh, the people, the readers and students and business owners who were successful from those who failed. And what kept coming up over and over again was one thing. Those who approached the ask method, followed it to the letter and still failed. The single thing that they all had in common was that they had chosen bad markets. 
And what I realized is that what I didn't teach and ask, I taught the methodology, which you're familiar with, that we use to enter these 23 different niche markets, one right after the other. But what I didn't teach was how we chose those markets in the first place. Like of the million markets out there, why those 23? Why them specifically? And so I started looking at our most successful markets, the ones that were wildly successful and those that were just kind of like just singles. They weren't home runs. I did the same thing with our students. I did the same thing with our clients and customers. And what I found is that there are seven factors, seven key factors that you are looking for that you need to make sure are in your market before you launch your business, start your side hustle, launch your own thing, become your own boss. You need to make sure that you can check off these seven boxes. And that is what this book is all about. Got it. And that you answered the question. I was going to ask you the next question was based on the subtitle of the book being the single most important decision before starting your business. My question was going to be, well, what's the single biggest mistake people make before starting their business? And you just answered that. So who, I mean, I think, I, I think I know the answer to this next question, but it's one I want to ask you because I want to make sure that we're really, really clear who we being who, me and whomever's listening. Yep. Um, I hope somebody's listening to this, right? Uh, <laughs> but uh, who's this book for? Like, who would you say, who is the perfect, if you're listening and going, well, like, I, I am an entrepreneur, or like, I'm kind of an entrepreneur, or, uh, you know, or I want to be an entrepreneur, which stage on the entrepreneurial journey is the person at that this book is perfect for? It's funny you ask that question. I, I have a, a dedication at the front of the book that I think answers that exactly. I say, if you've ever had the crazy dream to start your own business, if you've ever dreamed of doing your own thing, if you've ever failed or lost it all on something in the quest to shake the status quo, if you have something right now that is changing the world, but you don't know where to take it next, or if you're simply trying to figure out what you want to do and who you want to be when you grow up, this is the book I wish someone had written when I was where you are right now. In short, this book right here is for you. So if you're in any of those situations, right, whether you're thinking about starting a business but don't know where to begin, if you have a business right now that maybe you're feeling it's like you're pushing a boulder uphill, there's a metaphor that I use in the book that I think is really helpful. It's sort of like this. It's like, you know, when you start a business, it's like tossing your boat in a river. Now, that river, you expect it's going to get you to a destination much in the same way that your business you expect is going to create a lifestyle for you and your family and have the impact that you want to make and leave a legacy and all the things that are what inspire you to start your business. And so what I saw was people that they spent all their time, you know, getting the best possible boat they could buy, in some cases, hiring the best possible crew. They'd row and bust their butt 18 hours a day in that boat, you know, paddling, paddling, paddling. But here's the thing. If you put your boat in the river facing the wrong direction, or you put your boat in a river that doesn't have any water in it, you're never going to get to your destination. No matter how hard you row, no matter how awesome your equipment is, no matter how much planning you put in place, that one critical thing makes all the difference in the world. And so this book is about finding the right river for you a river that has a current behind your back that propels you forward. One that's not too small, one that's also not too big. You don't want to get swallowed up whole. And one that takes you to that destination in a way that most people never experience. And it makes all the difference in the world. If you've ever been in a boat before and you've paddled against the current or with the current, you know exactly what I'm talking about. 
Absolutely. And uh, now I know that in the book, and I haven't read it yet, but I've read, you sent me an overview, four types of people who want to start their own business. Can you go over those four types? Yeah. In my research, that three-year research project, I, I noticed that there are different, people start businesses for different reasons. And I found that there are kind of four types of entrepreneurs. Um, the first type of entrepreneur is what we call a mission-based entrepreneur. So mission-based entrepreneurs are people who have a, I like to say, a cause that you would die on the hill for, right? So something that you are very much drawn to. It's a mission of yours. So um, I talk about uh, Christy Kennedy in the book, and her mission is to eliminate bullying in elementary schools because her son, who has autism, was bullied and like really, really bad. And so it inspired her to do something about it in his school and then to the school in the town next door and all the schools in the state. And now she's in something like uh, thousands of schools around the country, a program that she developed. And so it's been a mission of hers, right? But not everybody's wired that way. Not everybody has like that mission that they're drawn to. Another type of entrepreneur is what we call the passion-based entrepreneur. Now, passion-based entrepreneurs typically have a hobby or something that they love that they want to make into their vocation, whether it's gardening or playing the guitar or their art. It's something that you love that you want to find a way to make money out of. Um, and they're very different from one another, mission-based and passion-based. Mission-based entrepreneurs want to move the world away from something negative. Passion-based entrepreneurs want to move the world toward something positive. Now, that's in contrast to the third type of entrepreneur, which is the opportunity-based entrepreneur. Not everybody has a passion or mission that they are drawn to. Opportunity-based entrepreneurs are entrepreneurs in the most classic sense of the word. They're the type of person that looks around, sees something, and wonders, how is it that nobody has solved this problem before? Like, why is there not a solution to this thing? And they oftentimes find an opportunity that they had no intent on doing something about that they transform into a business. So I talk about uh, Dana Oberman and her husband, Mike, who started a business called Sleep Sense. And uh, Dana and Mike, like so many parents, like you know, if you think back how to when you guys, you know, when your kids were just newborns, right? And how yeah. little sleep you were getting right? Like how no one gets sleep in the house, right? Well, they were in that same situation and they started doing research online. Like how do I get, they had one child in particular that was really like had a real hard time sleeping at night. And she, Dana started doing research and there was like nothing out there on how to get an infant to a uh, newborn to sleep. And so she tried everything and nothing was working. And finally she started diving into the medical and scientific research and she was able to get her child to sleep. Friends of theirs came over complaining about the same issue. And she said, oh, have you tried this thing yet? And she helped this couple get their child to sleep. And she, they couldn't believe it. And before you knew it, she started becoming like the sleep whisperer for, uh, huh. for young, for young newborns. And it wasn't anything that she ever intended on creating. It wasn't a mission or a passion of hers. It was this opportunity that she came about. Um, and fast forward to today and she's been on uh, good morning America and the today show. And they've helped wow. she and her husband have helped like hundreds of thousands of young couples, um, celebrities. Like, I mean, it's crazy. And it's just like, she basically solved a problem and found an opportunity that no one else had filled and built an entire business around it. Literally decades later. So that's a third type. Now that there's a fourth type, which is actually the bucket I was in when I started my business, which was the undecided, which is the undecided entrepreneur. Now the undecided entrepreneur is a type of person that, um, you know, you want to start your business or you, at least, you know, you want to do your own thing. You'd love to be your own boss, right? Whatever that means to you. Um, you just don't know what type of business you want to start. And I was in, in that exact situation when we started our business. Now, what's interesting about these four types, and if you're listening to this right now, I encourage you to kind of reflect on which of those four types maybe most sounds like you, um, or maybe your combination of more than one. But here's the thing, there's a light side and a shadow side to every single one. 
So if you're a mission-based entrepreneur, here's the thing you need to watch out for. Mission-based entrepreneurs tend to be so drawn to, to their calling, to their mission, that they can oftentimes struggle to make money doing, doing their thing. Passion-based entrepreneurs need to watch out for transforming something that was once passionate for them into something that becomes work and a job. There's nothing that will lead you to become dispassionate towards something that you once loved than for it to become a chore, for it to become uh, work. That's something you need to be careful of. Opportunity-based entrepreneurs need to watch out that you're not just building a business that fills your bank account, but also fuels your soul. Because if you build a business that is all about making money because it's an opportunity that you saw, but it isn't connected to you in some way, well, you're going to wake up one day and have this hollow feeling in your heart wondering, what did I just spend the last 10 years of my life doing? And the undecided entrepreneur, you need to watch out for constantly staying in that uh, dreamer mode where you're dreaming about what business you might start. And so for the undecided entrepreneur, I recommend doing exactly what I did, which is to start what I call a practice business. Start a practice business. Your practice business, your first business doesn't have to be your forever business. Just like when you think about when you first learned how to drive a car, the first car that you learned how to drive in probably wasn't your dream car for most of us, right? But you learned how to drive, you learned how to park, you learned how to do all the things, and it's a skill that served you for the rest of your life. In the same way, by using your practice business as a vehicle to learn all the things, setting up a website, writing emails, doing Facebook, all the things you need to learn, you can take those skills and then transfer those skills into your forever business. And so for me, my Orchid business, the Scrabble, those weren't forever businesses. Those were practice businesses. So I learned the skills. I learned the ropes that have served me now as an entrepreneur in a business that has much more ties to my passion and to my mission in life. No, I'm with you. I, I look at everything I do as practice. Mm. You know, like I, when I read the book, um, Failing Forward by John Maxwell, and he kind of talked about, you know, that really you can't fail, you just learn or you grow and that sort of thing. Yeah, I just, it just, the fear was gone. Now, everything I do, I'm like, if I fail, I'm like, oh, that's how practice went today. You know, like on this one, I got to adjust, change course and, and move forward. So what are the other, what you just shared, that just brilliant perspective on, on those various types of business owners. And I, you know, and I can relate, I think to all of them in some way. Right. So I think that mm. there's, that you can be more than one, you know, I think there can be some overlap for sure. What are some of the other mistakes people make when choosing a market? Because that's what this whole book is about is choosing your market, making sure you've got the right one. So what are some of the other mistakes that people are making, uh, when they're starting out? Yeah, you know, so there's there's two sides to this process. The first side is an introspective process, right? So identifying what your entrepreneur type is. There are a number of factors that I guide the reader through in the book to really understand yourself. It's a journey of self-discovery. That's the first side of the equation. The second side of the equation is to make sure that you are building a business and entering into a market that is going to fill your bank account. So there's the fuel your soul part and then the fill your bank account part. And one of the things that I, I mentioned that there are seven factors that uh, we discovered in this uh, uh, research separating the successful, most successful businesses and those that failed. And one of those factors is something that I call the five market must-haves. Now, I talked about the lesson I learned in the Scrabble business, going into a market that had longevity, it wasn't a fad. That's actually market must-have number one. It's what I call an evergreen market. Evergreen market is a market that was relevant 10 years ago. It's going to be relevant 10 years from now. You see people make this mistake time and time again, right? So a few years ago, there was a 
uh, a craze that happened. And if you have young kids, you probably remember this. Remember the fidget spinners? The fidget spinner craze from like a few years ago? <laughs> Absolutely. It's like you couldn't Absolutely. turn a corner. Everyone the stupid fidget spinner. And if you look crazy. at the search volume on Google, it went like through the moon and then dropped off a cliff. More wow. recently, I'll give you another one. What about Bitcoin? Mm, like, yeah. How many people do you know in your life that, you know, got on the Bitcoin train? And you now, know, Ryan, be careful. I've seen there's a lot of Bitcoin that are enthusiasts that are still fully invested, <laughs> engaged, believing. Anyway, anyway, so keep going. I just wanted to say. Uh, if to, you look at if what's interesting. And of course, Ryan, but, yeah, right, no, but what's interesting, there was a time not that long ago where you could not turn the corner. Right. Like I remember yeah. I got my hair cut once and all the hairstylists were talking about Bitcoin. And I that's like that classic sign that you're looking for where there's a bubble happening. Right. And yeah. I remember happen- seeing that. And if you look at the search volume on Google, uh, if you go to a tool called Google Trends, it's a free tool. You can go to Google Trends. You type in Bitcoin. You'll see that the search volume, the number of people online every single day that search for the term Bitcoin went up, 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 spikes up and then drops off a cliff. And then it's almost nothing. Right. So you want to be in a market that that's not going to happen. Compare that to, for example, orchids, and you'll see that orchids, the keyword volume for the orchids market is consistent year after year after year. So that's the first thing you want an evergreen market. Second mistake that people make is not going into what I call an enthusiast market. Now, an enthusiast market is in contrast to a problem solution market. Problem solution market is a market like the flooded basement market, right? If you have flooding in your basement, You're going to call up one of those companies. They're going to remove the flooding. They're going to help repair all the damage. And then you're going to move on with your life. Like you're not signing up for any Facebook groups. You're not like signing up for any email newsletters. You're not like, you know, joining any clubs. That's it. Like you're done. Now compare that to something like, uh, like you guys are into boating, right? Like boating is a perfect example of an enthusiast market, right? You think about people who are into boating, there there are clubs, there are uh, groups online, there are meetups, uh, there's all the equipment that you buy, and you want to be in a market like that because unlike a problem-solution market, when you're an enthusiast market, you can find a customer once and sell to that customer over and over and over again in the same market. Mm. So that's what you're looking for. So number three is it's not enough to be in an evergreen and an enthusiast market. You need to solve what's called an urgent problem in the context of that evergreen and enthusiast market. So a classic example of an enthusiast market I always use is the dog market, right? If you've got dogs, you know people who have dogs, then you know that dog owners are enthusiasts, like by definition, (laughs) right? Um, People have dogs for years, many times like their entire life, they've got, uh, you know, one or more uh, dogs in their life. And uh, the mistake that people make is they go into the dog market and they try to start selling something like doggy mugs or Christmas ornaments or something like that. Instead, what you need to look, no one wakes up in the middle of the night in a cold sweat and says, honey, we got to we're going to get a doggy mug like tomorrow, right? <laughs> it's just kind of one of those like things that lingers in the background. Instead, you want to solve an urgent problem. So an example of an urgent problem would be as follows. So I know this market a little bit because uh, recently we got a puppy, a little four and a half pound chihuahua puppy rescue that they found on the side of the highway that, that we took in. And I know the problems <laughs> that are associated with bringing a young puppy in the house. So uh, one of the problems is potty training your dog, right? So when you bring a dog in the house, the dog, you know, uh, pees on the rug and pees on the sofa and pees on the laundry and pees on the floor and pees on the bed and pees in all these different places. And it, it's an example of a problem where you finally turn at some point, one day you turn to your spouse and you say, honey, like we've got to solve this today. And when you found a problem like that, you're not going online trying to price shop and save 5% or 10%, right? You are like, we got to solve this no matter what. 
And so all price sensitivity goes out the window and it's an example of a problem that you'll basically pay any amount of money to solve this thing immediately. That's the type of problem you're looking to solve in your market. And there are examples of these problems in virtually every market. In the orchid market, an example is people wake up in the morning and they have their beautiful orchid that was on their kitchen table the night before. They wake up in the morning and all the blooms have fallen off suddenly. All the flowers on the orchid have fallen off sitting there on the table and they're thinking to themselves, what did I do wrong? I killed the plant overnight. That's an example of an urgent problem that people frantically go to Google and say, what did I do? You know, my, my son bought me this orchid for Mother's Day and he's coming over for dinner. Like, I can't kill the plant. You know, like, what did I do wrong? So yeah, um, yeah. those are examples of urgent problems that people need to solve right away. So that's number three. Now, okay. number four that you're looking for is a market that not just has an urgent problem that you can solve, but future problems as well. What I mean by that is when you solve an urgent problem for someone, you have the opportunity to become their trusted advisor for life. Like, if you can help someone get their infant to finally sleep at night after staying awake all night, or getting their orchid to rebloom after they've tried everything, or getting their dog to no longer you know, pee on the rug, you can become their trusted advisor for life. And the next time they have a problem or challenge or question in that market, they turn to you. In the dog market, you know, it might be, okay, this is great, but how do I get my dog to stop barking? or stop biting, or to stop pulling on a leash, or to come when she's called. Like, how do I do all those things? You can become the dog whisperer, the baby whisperer, the, the, the orchid whisperer for someone. So you're looking for a market that has future problems. And the real key is a market where when you help someone solve a problem, like you generate success for that person, that success in and of itself leads to another problem. Classic example I always use is imagine you're in a market where you help people negotiate a better salary, right? So you help people negotiate a better salary. You have a client that you've helped. You've helped them negotiate an extra $10,000 in their salary. And they come to you and they say, I've, you know, I've got this problem. What's the problem? You made an extra $10,000. But yeah, I've never had money, enough money to invest because I've always had to live pay paycheck to paycheck. Where do I invest my money? What should I do? Should I put it in my 401k? Should I set up a, an IRA? Should I do a Roth or a traditional? All these questions. See how that's a good problem that didn't yet exist until you solve that first problem? Hmm. That's the type of space that you want to be in. And the fifth and final one is a market that's filled with what we call PWMs, players with money. You can't sell to broke people. It's a big thing that people forget about. You can't sell to broke people. And I've learned this lesson the hard way. You need to find a market where people, not, not a market filled with millionaires and billionaires necessarily, but a market filled with people who spend a disproportionate amount of their income in that area of their life. And we all know people like this, right? You probably have an area of your life that you just, you know, you spend more money in that area of your life and you have other areas of your life that you don't spend big. Like for me, I, yeah. I get a haircut that costs me like 10 bucks, right? Yeah. But I buy a new Lego set practically every single week. The amount of money <laughs> we spent on Lego is ridiculous because Lego is like I forgot a big to thing. tell everybody Ryan, Ryan's 12, everyone. 
<laughs> I am. I'm living out my childhood fantasies. No, actually, yeah, you and Pat Flynn, have you guys have you guys got together and built Lego sets together? Because we, that would we be, haven't. <laughs> it would be pretty epic. <laughs> but Lego is like huge. We have an entire Lego room in our house. Like, yeah, I've incorporated Lego into into my keynote. I mean, you saw me speak recently. You know, in, incorporate Lego yeah. in my keynotes, uh, our live events. Like, Lego is a huge thing for me. That's like my silly little addiction that I spend a lot of money on. So yeah. when it comes to Lego, that's like an area of my life. But if you were to try to sell me an expensive haircut, I spend like 10, 15 bucks on a haircut. So we all have these areas of our life that we spend a disproportionate amount of money. And what you're looking for is a market with that demonstrated situation. And in the boating or yachting market is a perfect example because the barrier to entry into that market is to buy a boat, right? Yeah. Versus like the chess market, you can buy a chess set at Walmart for 20 bucks. And you could keep that chess set for the next 20 years and never spend another penny in that market versus the boating market. I mean, I don't even want to know the amount in maintenance and fuel and getting the next boat and docking fees and like everything that's involved with that. That's an example of a market that's filled with PWMs. Whether these create the, yeah. Sorry, the picks and shovels for that market, right? You know you're creating the picks, the shovels, the tools, the, the services, the products that are targeted toward people that have lots of expendable cash, right? Exactly. And are willing to spend that money. It doesn't necessarily mean that yeah. they have a ton of cash. It just means that they, they're willing to spend. I mean, you see, like the dog market's a perfect example. There are people yeah, who sure. spend crazy amounts of money on their dog, but won't have any money to invest uh, anywhere else in their life because that's what they choose. They choose to invest and spend their money in that specific area of their life. So that's what you're looking for. And yes, I'm a huge advocate in selling education and expertise in these uh, markets. So those are the five big mistakes and what I call the five market must-haves being an evergreen, Mm -hmm. enthusiast, urgent problem, future problems, and PWMs, players with money. I love it. So I'm sold. I mean, I, I loved your first book, Ask, and you, I'm not even sold. I mean, you, you've div- get delivered so much value today, but I'm sold because I know your expertise from Ask, from what we heard today. I'm going to read Choose, you know, and I, I run a multi-million dollar business. So if somebody's, whether you're just starting out or you're, you know, you're a seven-figure entrepreneur or anywhere in between, I think all of Ryan's content and this book in particular is relevant. How do people get a copy of the book? I know you're doing some sort of free offer deal with it. I saw some rumblings on Facebook or something (laughs) like that. So is that still available? How does that work? Well, you're one of my bros, man. So I wanted to hook anyone up who is uh, one of your listeners with something super, super special. And that's this. Any one of your listeners, I'm going to hook them up with a free hardcover copy of the book All I ask is that they pay a few dollars shipping and handling, and I will ship it to you anywhere in the world. Like, I don't care where you are. I'll ship it to your doorstep. And to make it a no-brainer, I'm also including over $200 in free bonuses. I'm including the audiobook. So if you're like a a lot of uh, my listeners love listening to audiobooks, I'm going to hook you with the audiobook. I read the book myself, so I was trapped in the studio without food and water for an entire week reading this thing. So um, read the entire book so you get that. People always want to know, like, can you give me examples of markets and niches that check off those boxes that you mentioned that have all those, that meet all those criteria. I'm hooking you up with my private list of the top 25 niches for 2019. So I've gone into 23 markets. These are the markets I would be going into next if I wasn't focused on this book and teaching other entrepreneurs. So I'm handing that list on a silver platter. There's a mindset training course that accompanies the book that I'm hooking you up with for free. And so I mentioned I studied neuroscience and Chinese in college. I give you You're 17, teaching Chinese. I'm t- it's in, in Chinese. The- that's the trick. Uh, <laughs> that's no, great. it's uh, 17 mental hacks for overcoming all the head trash that 
I see people run into when you're starting your own thing, fear of failure, overcoming self-doubt and self-confidence, analysis paralysis, all of those things that kind of cloud our thinking when we're trying to do our own thing. I give you 17 mental hacks to overcome all that. So over $200 in free bonuses. All you need to do is go to the link, choosethebook.com forward slash achieve for achieve your goals. So that's choosethebook.com forward slash achieve. And uh, I'll hook you up with a free hardcover copy of the book and ship it to you anywhere in the world. You're giving away a lot of stuff. <laughs> so I'm in the middle of my book launcher. Just I'm a little bit ahead of you. I just did the this and uh, yeah, man, that's I'm that's really great. I'm I'm excited. I'm going to go get the free book. Uh, I'll take advantage of the free book and all the free bonuses. Ryan, I would love to leave our listeners with some of your wisdom. Do you have or more of your wisdom? A final piece of advice or anything that you can leave us with? Yeah, I'll share something that one of my mentors shared with me early in my career, and it's had a huge impact on my thinking. It's something I share with every single one of our students, and it's this. Listen, you don't have to get it perfect in business. You don't have to get it perfect. You just have to get it going. But the best time to get it going is right here, right now, today. So whatever it is that you've been wanting to do, that thing that you know is inside of you that you want to get out there, whatever thing that is now and today is the time to do it. So go out there and change the world. I love it, brother. I think that should be your next book. You've got Ask, Choose, and Now. I think that's your next one. I love it. I love it. <laughs> awesome. Well, you've been super generous with your time and your wisdom, and the, the offer is great. If you're a Achieve Your Goals podcast listener, go to choosethebook.com forward slash achieve. Uh, pay a few bucks in shipping, get the free book, and all the awesome bonuses that Ryan just mentioned. So, Ryan, well, I appreciate you, man. And, and most importantly, I'm so grateful to be in the front row dads with you and to be working together on not just business stuff, but on becoming the best fathers and the best husbands we can be. Because I think as we both agreed uh, when we connected at the retreat a couple weeks ago, that that is our number one priority, uh, each of us respectively. So I appreciate Amen you, to that. It's what it's all about. I'm, I'm right there with you, brother. Awesome. Well, Goal Achievers, I love you. I hope you enjoyed the first non-Miracle Equation episode. Some of you were probably like, oh, I missed the Miracle Equation series. And some of you are like, finally, finally, an episode not talking about miracles. I get it. I get it. So either way, I love you. I appreciate you. Thank you for being a, a listener of the Achieve Your Goals podcast. And thank you for allowing me to be a part of your life. It really does mean so, so much to me and hope it means something uh, significant to you too, because I, I appreciate you. Talk to you next week, everybody. Take care. Thanks for listening. To learn more about the Achieve Your Goals podcast and to get access to today's show notes, transcript, and exclusive content from Hal Elrod, visit halelrod.com forward slash podcast. Thanks again for joining us. Be sure to tune in next week for another episode of the Achieve Your Goals podcast.